here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. We have a series that we get to begin today, and we're going to be going all around the country, and I'm very excited about this, with the opportunity to speak with the leaders of collegiate athletics all throughout our great nation. And we have started things off officially today, and we'll continue that conversation as we are here with the commissioner of the Big South, and that is Kyle Kalander, who is joining us here today on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora from inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios to speak on the strength of his specific conference of the Big South, as well as to take a look at the evolution of the Big South, name, image, and likeness in the big picture sense, as well as the transfer portal and where collegiate athletics are heading. So... This opportunity to join the Big South is here with us this morning, and I'm very elated to have Kyle back onto the show. So let's bring him in. Kyle, how are we doing today? So far, so good, you know, but the day is young, right? <laughs> Hope you're doing well, Dan. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Doing very well. And, and you and I were talking off the air that you've gotten to travel around and enjoy some spring athletics in the world of the Big South. So where have your uh, trips brought you? And just to speak to uh, the positivity and the, the solid movement of the, the Big South here in the spring, we'd love to give some plugs to those teams out there that are keeping you traveling. Well, spring is a, is a, a lot of fun. We, we have you know, 19 total sports, and a lot of those championships happen in the spring. So uh, it does seem like our our championships uh, universe is kind of centered on High Point, North Carolina, because that's where we had our outdoor track and field championships, which was an outstanding event, and North Carolina A&T setting all kinds of conference records and, and even you know national uh, national times um, in some of their events. Um, uh, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, High Point actually hosted women's lacrosse, uh, but we also get out. On, I get to get out on campus and uh, see uh, some of our presidents uh, because it's also a big meeting time. Everybody's got their big conference meetings this time of year, right? So a lot of a lot of preparation around that and getting ready for really important discussions that we're going to have next week. Yeah, you know, and, and when you look at those discussions that you want to have for the Big South annual meetings, what do you want to address? What what is on the docket that is of prime importance to you as you step forward in the Big South? Well, number one, it's, it's what's happening nationally with the NCAA, the restructuring, what the transformation committee conversation is, uh, you know, what does the future of college athletics look like within the NCAA, or is there actually a different model? So um, I was actually hoping we'd have more to chew on from the transformation committee at this point, so we're still kind of shooting in the dark a little bit at least in terms of some of the important uh, conversations and topics around student-athlete support uh, and membership standards at the Division I level. Uh, but it, it will be very important that we have these discussions. We understand what's happening uh, nationally as much as possible, understand where others are coming from. And what's important to the Big South, we'll have, uh, we'll have Kevin Lennon, Vice President of the NCAA, with us. That will help because he's staffing a lot of those really important meetings. And Julie Cromer, co-chair of the Transformation Committee, is going to join us as well. So we will, we really will get an insight to what they're thinking currently. But there's still so much left uh, in this process to really uh, discuss um, uh, that really needs to be, be able to be crystallized before we know exactly where things are going. I mean, we may not know that until the fall. Yeah, you know, and and in this transformation of it, like you said, you wish you had more information up to this point. What are you hoping for? What are you looking for? I, I know you said the the future of the NCAA or maybe a, a different model. I mean, what what is what is the the desire from your point of view that needs to happen for the NCAA to survive everything that's going on? Well, that's a really good question because it kind of comes in it kind of comes in two buckets. What's what's ideally we'd like to have happen, and, and what is more realistic? Uh, because we're in the unfortunate position that the courts have forced us into considering models that, uh, in my in my opinion, are not healthy for the collegiate model, are not healthy for college athletics as we understand them, and. Um, and are forcing us toward a professional model. Uh, now, I'm not. I'm not saying we have to go back to the old ways. I'm not. I'm certainly not suggesting that. But at the same time, there we're restricted in terms of some of the parameters we can put around uh, what we can do here because we're concerned about lawsuits. We're concerned about the skyrocketing, the skyrocketing legal fees, which uh, which really kind of put us in this position 
originally with NIL. Um, and, and so we're, we're forced to, um, think differently, which isn't a bad thing, but, uh, think in ways that, you know, just a year ago, we wouldn't have thought we'd be thinking about, uh, because in my mind, college athletics is different than professional athletics. And we are talking about students. That's really important. Uh, we're, we're shaping young people's lives in terms of their experiences and, and, uh, their maturity and, uh, you know, preparing them for life after college. And so if we're going to be just treating them like employees, I think we lose a lot of that. And, and I don't think that's a benefit overall for student athletes. I absolutely think that they should have opportunities, you know, through name, image, and likeness. I think we've gone too far with it, frankly. But uh, I've, I've been on board with NIL and monetizing that for most of my career, quite frankly. I just think once we cross the line of sponsorships and endorsements, then we start to lose control, and that's what we're seeing now. So I have a lot of concerns about that. Um, you know, ideally, I'd like to see us protect the collegiate model in some way. I think it's really important that we don't cross the line into professional athletics as much as possible. We don't cross the line into pay-for-play. Uh, but I'm getting more and more pessimistic about our ability to do that. Um, and ultimately, you know, there's got to be some congressional involvement if we're going to protect the collegiate model. That's honestly how I feel. Um, so it's uh, it's a really challenging day. Everybody's obviously talking about it, focused on it. Um, and, uh, you know, we talk about our meetings next week. We're beginning to have conversation. I've begun to have conversation with some of our leaders around the Big South about, you know, we're just going to have to decide what we want to be, who we want to be, and what level we want to be. Because we're not sure we're going to be able to cap anything uh, because of the, uh, the the litigious environment we have. So if you don't have caps on, on scholarships, you don't have caps on personnel, you don't have caps on, you know, recruiting, um, you know, then, you know, at least at the national level, and conferences are forced to make decisions on what they want to do, then, you know, we just have to understand what, what who we are, what we are, and, and what we're comfortable with, even though similar conference down the road might be doing more. Um, we just have to, we just have to understand and, you know where our place is in that regard, and, and be comfortable with it. Yeah, you know, and, and you you talked about a very uh, difficult thing, and we're able to eloquently put that. I mean this this world that we live in for collegiate athletics now. I mean it, it has it has turned into. I mean, there, the one thing that makes me sad about everything is that everything we're talking about with NIL and transfer portal and transformation and what's the NCAA going to look like and and the conferences and realignment and reclassification for certain schools. What? Not once am I hearing anybody talk about education. Not once. And nothing about the student side of it. Nothing about the fact that it it is so hard to become a, a college athlete number one and once you are a student athlete in college that small percentage gets even tinier of being able to play professionally and then even if you get to play professionally at 30 31 34 years old you have the rest of your life and you know you're no longer playing so we put all this emphasis on athletics and we lose the student side of it but if you don't have an education what are you going to do with the rest of your life and and i feel that you know that's that's one of the you know, in, in the battlefield that has become collegiate athletics today, that's one of the, you know, bleeding bodies on the ground, I think, now is the, is the student side of student-athlete. And I want people to talk about it. I want people to fight for it. And, and listen, I mean, the NCAA is a, a billion-dollar industry that says that they're a non-for-profit. I mean, we can see the loopholes in this. But at the same time, where I think student-athletes are obviously why the NCAA exists and can make money is because of them, so they deserve something, I, I'm, I'm very discouraged by the fact that academia has taken not a backseat, they're not even in the car anymore. Yeah. Well, you know, I've, I've really gotten tired of people um, just discounting the benefits student-athletes get, even outside of NIL now, just talking about any other kind of, it is an age-old argument, I, I recognize you get the value of the scholarship, you get the value of the of the development, the value of the support, but you can't discount that, and you can't discount the impact that has on, on young people's lives. I mean, it is, it is so important, and I just really worry that, again, we're doing a disservice um, to our student-athletes, and, and we're trying to compare them with employees. We're trying to compare them with coaches, for crying out loud. Um, you know, and I just don't see that comparison being being accurate or adequate. Uh, 
employ- coaches are are employees. There is a they do have a contract with the institution. If they're not performing, they're fired. Um, and and you know, hopefully, and I know there's an argument to be made. Hopefully, our commitment to student athletes is a little different than that. That we're we're wanting to really develop these student athletes, and, and uh, we want them to uh, to graduate. Um, so it's. Um, you know, it's it's a real challenge with, with where we are right now, and uh, you know, I'm I am uh, hopeful that people are beginning to see that maybe this path we're going down isn't the best way to go. But again, I'm not sure how we put any genies back in the bottle, nor am I suggesting we we have to completely. Um, in that, frankly, you know, Congress is going to have to step in if if we're going to protect the collegiate model. Well, and and here's my question: you know, uh, coaches have been able to. Uh, move wherever they want to move right they say to a student athlete we're gonna we're gonna be with you forever we're gonna develop you we love you we appreciate you they go into the family's household and they they you know feed the family a bunch of this stuff and and some coaches are being honest and some coaches aren't and they say hey we're gonna be here to develop your kids we're gonna be here to love up your kids we're gonna take care of them and then three months later they they take a contract somewhere else they they get you know, the, the school pays the buyout and they move on and move forward. So the argument has been, well, a college coach can do whatever they want, whenever they want, and they don't have to keep their word. So that's where the transfer portal is control to the student athlete. But off of your point, if a coach is an employee and student athletes want to be treated as employees, then can you fire them and take their scholarship and tell them to go somewhere else? Is is I guess the question. Well, certainly if they're employees, you can. Now there there are protections around that to to protect student athletes uh, in that regard. Now, hey, I'm I'm not Pollyanna here. I'm not naive enough to think that there aren't coaches that don't do it the right way out there. But um, you know, if you get to an employee employer relationship, that's a completely different situation in terms of student athletes. Yeah, you're going to have your contract, and if you're not performing, you're gone. There's going to be a lot less consideration for uh, anything else, including your academic performance. So, um, you know, I, I think we have to really be aware and concerned about that. Um, the other thing, you see, you're talking about the transfers and the movement. Um, again, where does academics play a role here? It's been shown that graduation uh, rates for transfer student athletes are lower uh, than a student athlete that stays at their original institution. So, so again, the academics comes in second in this argument, and uh, we may be seeing a lot more student athletes that have not achieved degrees because they move from place to place. Um, you know, you don't have the transferable credits; it just doesn't doesn't quite work as well. What impact does that have now on the APR? What happens with APR? Again, if we're going away from the academic model, then maybe it doesn't matter. But in my mind, it should. So. Um, so all those things are really, really a concern. And the other thing about, again, maybe, maybe I'm just too old school, but um, you know, institutions, uh, especially at the Big South level, our coaches are working hard to identify, uh, recruit, bring uh, uh, student athletes in that they think could be successful in their program, successful in college, uh, develop those student athletes. And hey, if a student athlete succeeds and has a, another opportunity to, you know. You know, get better. I completely understand that more power to them, uh, but at the same time, I don't think we can just say, "Oh, well, it's okay." You know that we've put all these resources into these student athletes, and then uh, they're just free to go at any time and be immediately eligible somewhere. I just don't think that's a model that that is successful or is um, is appropriate for what I call the collegiate model. So, you know, we've always been in the Big South uh, opposed to opening up the transfer spigot to open, opening up to free agency, which is basically what we have right now. And we've always favored some restrictions around that. Again, I think Jeannie's out of the bottle. You know, I, I tend to support Gary Barr's comments a, a week or two ago about maybe everybody needs to sit. Uh, but, um, again, I don't know that we can ever go back to that, uh, that scenario. Um, so I just... I just think it's really hard, and I, you know, who's, you know, who's really suffering here because of this is the high school student athlete. You know, they have fewer opportunities because everybody's now trying to get better, get better through the transfer portal. Uh, so, what does that do to these kids coming out of high school where they don't have these same opportunities they did before? Yeah, you know, and and you brought it up, you know, that you've in the Big South, you know, wanted some type of restriction, right? Some type of 
rules and regulations to to transferring and whatnot. I just had, as we start off the Commissioner Central series, as we take a look around the country at collegiate athletics and, and get the perspectives of commissioners and executive directors, we started that off with the SOCON commissioner, Jim Schaus, who was just on before you. And ironically, uh, the, the SOCON and the Big South are the only two conferences that still have the intra-conference rule in, in transferring where you will have a player sit out a year if they're going to travel within the conference from one school to another school that is within the Big South. So, uh, you know, obviously they have that model and, and they could potentially look at that at, at their spring meetings and whatnot. What are your thoughts on on that model and keeping that model? And, and second to that, do you feel in today's world that you're being forced to get rid of that model? Yes, to answer the last question, that's <laughs> the, the trend things are going, and so I think there is external pressure because of of the movement uh, at Division One to to get rid of that. And as you as you mentioned, it's us and the Southern are the only two that still have that in place. Um, you know, and for us, it's more about relationships uh, and collegiality within the Big South. And you know, we saw it a little bit, quite frankly, this spring because we did have. We did have a, a student athlete who wanted a waiver of our policy, and we'd be, we began to see tension and deterioration of relationships between two of our members because of a student athlete was wanting to move from one to the next. Now that student athlete ended up going someplace else out of the conference, so it ended up not being an issue. But um, that's exactly what we're talking about, and and it becomes there becomes some distrust in what's going on and who's having the conversations and when. Um, Certainly there are examples where student-athletes, you know, or institutions wouldn't have a problem with a student-athlete moving from one place to another. There are legitimate reasons for that. But um, but there can also develop real concerns about what's happening within your conference. And we all know that there's, um, and I'm not, not uh, accusing anybody at this point, but we know just generally there are conversations taking place that should be taking place out there um, in terms of kids before they get in the transfer portal. So, um, so we just have real concerns about what that does to the fabric of the conference and the membership. Um, and, uh, and so it is on our agenda to talk about next week when we get together. Our athletic director is going to discuss it again. Uh, our CEOs are going to discuss it again. And so who knows? You know, it could change. Um, but at the same time, you kind of layer that over what's happening at the national level with the conversation about the DSA structure and potential decentralization and deregulation of the NCAA rules where now conferences are going to be making determinations on what should their transfer rules be, what should their financial aid caps be, what should their recruiting rules be. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, so maybe this, maybe us being in this position with the interconference transfer rule falls in line with really what we're all going to be talking about a year from now, which is as a Big South. Now that the NCAA no longer has financial aid rules, what does the Big South Conference want to do? What do and so maybe that falls under that, and, and it makes sense for us uh, to make a, an independent decision as we have uh, around these kinds of issues. You know, and, and speaking a, a lot of, you know, get, getting into this, and, and like you said, you know, what's going to happen? What is the NCAA going to look like? And if, and if they're – deregulating and they're sending everything to the conferences, then is there an NCAA, I guess is the question. If there is no centralized, it seems like as time has gone on, the NCAA has taken less and less of the responsibility of governance. And and, and when we saw NCAA president Mark Emmert, who's going to be stepping down sooner than later, uh, he made a statement during COVID that, you know, in, in the heat of the pandemic, he said, there is no czar football, I have no control. I can't tell an institution whether or not they can play. I can't tell a conference whether or not they can play. And and that that left me feeling uh, very concerned in the sense of the fact of, okay, well, if, if, if you as the NCAA president has no control over college football, then who does? And if, if you are going to suspend a coach and you're going to suspend a student athlete, but you can't tell a school or institution that they can't play, well, then with all due respect, if I'm a student athlete and you tell me I can't play, I'm still going to play because you can't stop my school from playing, so then I play for my school. And it's it's created a lot of confusion, but, you know, Kyle, I said, I said uh, f- about five years ago, I said five to ten years from now, so we've just hit that window, I said five to ten years from now, the NCAA will either not exist the way that we have come to know it as, if it exists at all. And I'm sitting here today, five years later, in a transformation process 
where here we are. Is it going to exist? What's it going to look like? And where's the check and balance to the NCAA if the NCAA punishes a school for a rules violation, but then doesn't punish another school? And I've seen that firsthand. So there's there's so many questions. And I, I think what comes down to it is with NIL running rampant and the transfer portal be creating free agency and collegiate athletics and having uh, a potential deregulation process and a transformation process and the president stepping down, there's no true centralized form of leadership. And that makes me very concerned for you all as commissioners that if there's no one to look to as the leader of collegiate athletics, then are you as a commissioner left to own your own island and do whatever you want, essentially? That's the direction it's going, frankly. Um, the um, I will defend Mark Emmert a little bit here. You know, I think his job's impossible. Um, you know, it, the NCAA has always been unmanageable as an organization. You know, when you even when in, even when Division One was two hundred fifty members, I mean that's everybody. The NCAA is not Mark Emmert. The NCAA is not an office in Indianapolis. It's the membership. And when you're trying to make decisions with that large of a group of institutions, whether it's NCAA as a whole, all three divisions, or just Division One, or even within the subdivisions, um, you know it's a challenge. It's hard enough as a conference with ten or twelve members, and you're trying to get everybody. You're trying to build consensus amongst just you know ten or twelve members that have different missions and different you know outlooks and and different resources. Um, so it's a, it's it, it is really tough. You're trying to manage your board that's representing all these institutions yeah. uh, to get to one place. And it's a very diverse you know uh, division with, uh, with the institutions we have here. So so I think I think he he, he takes a lot of arrows, <clears throat> but he does the best he can. I've not always agreed with him, so I'm not saying that that. Um, you know, I, I think that's uh, that we've always done the right thing. But at the same time, I think, and it, and it comes with the territory. I think he's gotten a lot more blame than he deserves. So, what is what is a model that will work moving forward? Um, that's a, that's an excellent question. You know, unless something kind of dramatically changes, where we're now willing to put all the authority in one person's hand or a smaller group's hands. Um, then we're still going to have to deal with those issues. I, I am discouraged with what I'm hearing out of some of the Power Five guys about, you know, doing things themselves. Um, you know, Gene Smith's talked about it. I think he's talked more about the football, but if, if football is a separate entity, I don't think there's anything to stop them from basically, you know, putting all their sports in a different association or organization. And uh, that would really be unfortunate. Maybe that's where we're going. I would hate to see it happen. Uh, but um, I think that would be unfortunate for the opportunities for a lot of student athletes that currently are participating in Division One. And, and even though the Big South isn't going to win a lot of national championships, our student athletes want the opportunity to go compete against, you know, Power Five schools and get to the NCAA championships and, and compete against the best of the best. And so um, that would uh, that would really be an unfortunate day if that's the direction we ended up going. But. Um, but yeah, to your last point, um, you know, we're all we're kind of looking to conferences to kind of make the decisions on what they're doing on their own. And and um, again, I think a lot of this, while, while there's a lot of concern about the management, of the organization, the efficiency of the of the organization, uh, again, a lot of this is driven by the by the litigious culture that we have currently and what decisions we can or can't make as an association. So, um, so it's, it's kind of forced us into this, into looking at, okay, I guess we've got to look at smaller groups and smaller markets, uh, as we make these decisions, um, moving forward. So that really, uh, really creates a, a difficult uh, situation for us. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it just seems like factions are breaking off into factions, into factions and more factions. And, and you know, I, I had this conversation within the, the autonomy group. I, I had a conversation and, and it was about, and this was years ago, you know, this was maybe five, six years ago. I said, now that you have this autonomy, which by definition means self-governing, have you, you know, have the commissioners, have you all sat down and, and thought about maybe just breaking away completely? And they said, well, Dan, I don't think it's going to happen right now, but it's, it's not something that's out of the realm of possibility. And then we had the conversation again and, and the conversation remained the same. Hey, 
It's not like we don't know about this. It's not like we can't talk about this. It's not happening right now. But, you know, I look at the SEC has 16 schools. I look at the fact that when the SEC added Oklahoma and Texas, what was the response? The Pac-12, the Big Ten, and the ACC formed a joint alliance. What's that alliance for? They say it's for education. It's not for education. They say it's for, you know, just spreading information. It's not for spreading information. It's for preparation, in my opinion. And then here's the Big 12 was left out of both of these because the Big 12, were they going to survive? Were they not going to survive? They had eight, and now now they're back to 12. They will be back to 12 by 2023 or 2024. So I also heard from Division Two institutions and, and Division One outside of the autonomy group that, hey, when Oklahoma and Texas left, it shifted. It hit everybody. And and we've had that conversation of those hits. And I've talked to Division II schools that are potentially looking at reclassification. I, I've spoken, you know, with uh, the American Athletic Conference and, and Mike Oresco and the fact that his conference has been poached a million times. And here he is once again having to make a move. But now they've made a move where they're going to have the most football schools they've ever had, which is 14, which is only two less than the SEC and matches the ACC. So and matches the Big Ten. So, I mean, there's... There's so much going on, Kyle, that I'm very concerned about the conversations I had six years ago and what it looks like today. What's stopping the SEC from just being its own league if it can get almost 20 schools there? And what's stopping the joint alliance of the Pac-12, the, the Big Ten, and the ACC from being their own? And and then from there, you know, do, do the rest of the conferences go to the FCS and do they talk to you all and say, hey, let's take the FCS and bond it with the rest of the conferences and the FBS and, and let's form one major thing because we're already not involved in the college football playoffs, so we might as well try to get inside of the, you know, championship series that is within the FCS, but tweak the model a little bit. I mean, where do we go from here if the SEC is what they are, the Joint Alliance is what it is, autonomy is what it is by definition, are we not looking at the rest of the FBS just joining with the FCS and saying, hey, let's keep Division One alive and let's do it together? I don't think so. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think a majority in the Power Five um, have been, or really even currently, desire to leave the NCAA or start their own. Uh, I think there has been more consideration of that recently because of what we've been forced to be thinking about here. I don't think it's I don't think it's because Division One has grown so large. Although we've got a few that are you know, carping about that, I don't think it's because uh, Power Five doesn't have the ability to craft their own future. Uh, I think they certainly can because they have autonomy in a lot of areas, and through this process currently, they're getting a lot more autonomy. Um, so I think it, you know, unfortunately, you know, you got to follow the money, right? So um, I, I think they're going to try to do what what is best for um, for the financial sustainability of their programs. Um, so how how big does the conference get? It's you know until they have diminishing returns. Uh, at what point do you, do you carve the pie up too much? It doesn't make sense to add any more members. Uh, so I think that's going to be the determining factor. Um, same with the FBS situation. You're you're going to have conferences that certainly are going to want to stay with the Power Five and the CFP group because there's a revenue source there that's really important to them. Um, so I don't. You're not going to see a group of five conferences decide they want to. They might as well go FCS. I, that is that is not going to happen unless you know there's there's a situation where there's it's untenable. I don't see that happening anytime soon. So. Um, so what what's left? And again, I kind of go back to one of my original comments: is that you know we're going to have to decide, you know, where we are, what's best for us, who we want to be. Uh, you know, it's really important that we provide the best opportunities for our student athletes. We've always kept that you know front and center, and we need to continue to keep that front and center. And how can we best do that uh, without really forcing us into a position that really isn't going to make a lot of sense for us? So. Um, yeah, there's so much, you know, of an arms race. There's so much chasing the brass ring, which is good, and, and we understand that you know we're competitive. We're in college athletics, for crying out loud. Uh, but uh, maybe this is a watershed moment for all of us to step back and say, you know, what's really important for us moving forward, and what values do we really want to hold up and, and follow here as we make these decisions. 
That coming from the Big South Commissioner Kyle Kalander here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora in our Commissioner Central Series inside the Cafe Kubal Studios. Well, you know, Kyle, with all the stuff that we've talked about this morning, I want to talk about a lighter thing, NIL. And uh, so... (laughs) So as we look at name, image, and likeness in the transfer portal, uh, this this has made things more uh, eventful. It, it has essentially allowed the opportunity. Now we talked about how you you and the and the SoCon still have the intra conference rule, where if you go to a different school inside the conference, you do have to sit out a season. But if you transfer anywhere else, the NCAA has said you do not have to sit out a year for that first jump. And so there's the opportunity of free agency. Uh, what concerns me about that is in the Big South, in, in FCS, these could be, you know, a lot of student-athletes that schools in the FBS maybe looked at, maybe didn't look at, maybe looked at but thought weren't a good fit, thought they weren't ready, and then essentially they come to one of your institutions, right, and and here they are in the Big South and they're playing for Monmouth or Kennesaw State or North Carolina A&T and they get really good and they build themselves up and then Duke comes over, Alabama comes over, or, you know, UCLA comes over and says, hey, thank you for what you've done with them in the Big South. Thank you for, you know, essentially being our farm system. We're going to take them now. And then name, image, and likeness, right? The rich get richer because the schools that already have a ton of money and a lot of boosters and people that are willing to give can turn around and, and, and take what already is unfair and make it even more unfair. So name, image, and likeness is out there existing with little to no rules and the transfer portal is out there existing where you have to essentially as a coach recruit a new class every year and re-recruit your entire roster as well yeah and even before the transfer portal you know there were a number of transfers that were taking place and when they at that point if you were in certain sports you had to sit out a year and, and so we understand that i mean we had we had a couple of uh former Big South student-athletes that played on the national championship Baylor men's basketball team a couple of years ago. And, and so, you know, those kind of opportunities you, you love for those kids. I mean, you, you understand it, you support it. But where we are now is that you've kind of, you have the, uh, the student-athletes that maybe aren't on your all-conference team that are deciding they want to jump in the portal just because they didn't get enough playing time or they, you know, whatever reason. And so now you've got out of a roster of, you know, 13 to 15, you've got seven or eight or maybe even more that are looking to transfer. And it's not, not and some of them think they're going to get recruited by the, by the bigger programs, but they end up not getting recruited. And so unfortunately, you see these student athletes, they're kind of that middle tier that end up with either no opportunity, they were given up a scholarship and they end up with nothing, or it's a lateral or it's a move down. And that's probably not what they were intending, a majority of them, when they went that direction. So, again, that's not benefiting those student-athletes necessarily. And we're also teaching that, you know, hey, you don't like it, just move on. You don't, you don't deal with the, you know, with the problem. You don't deal with the circumstance and try to get better. Uh, you, you leave and go someplace else. And I don't think that's healthy either. So um, that's the environment that we've created that I have real concern about transfer standpoint um nil uh there's part of me that i'm glad i'm not at a power five conference because you know it's not the same issue for us as it is for them um clearly there's a lot of benefits to student athletes and certainly again supporting the student athlete uh, you know uh, understand that uh, we certainly do have student athletes taking advantage of that which i think it can be a really good thing but when you start again crossing over into the endorsement, the sponsorship, the collective world, you know, how are we controlling that? What is really taking place? Is it in line with what our values are and what our rules are? And in some circumstances, probably not. So um, there's some just real concern around that. And uh, we made the conscious decision that we would go with chaos instead of guardrails. And now we have chaos. And uh, is it going to uh, end up benefiting us because uh, – people in the right places, i.e. Congress, to see that something needs to be done and we're going to try to get some controls around it, uh, which I think has to happen, uh, or uh, do we just continue to move forward, which is trending in a not very positive direction? I, lo- I love what you said, Kyle, when you said guardrails, right? Because without guardrails, you're driving on the other side of the road, driving off the road, hitting things. I mean, it, it, this, this has become such a confusing time and 
I see the angles, right? I see that the NCAA, billion-dollar industry, non-for-profit, a lot of people ask questions about that. And so you say, okay, well, student-athletes should get something because the majority of them are not going to go pro. So if you're making money off of their jersey sales, they should get a percentage of that. If you're selling out your stadiums, maybe you look at giving them a percentage of that. So I understand that side of it. But at the same time, you know, I'm a businessman. I'm making partnerships all the time. I know how shady and how strange and how confused. I know that that every business I work with was not the most upstanding business. And when I found that out, I got rid of that. When I found out a business was not doing what they promised they were going to be doing, because I don't want that attached to my name. You have to understand as a business owner, there's a lot of things that you're going to learn over time. And a 17, 18 year old kid, I mean, to take them out of high school and say, hey, do you know me at 36 years old as I'm still learning, will always be learning. I'm going to sit them down and say, yeah, it's great to make money. But did you know of these 72 things you have to put in a contract that I realized over the last 10 years? So it's there's all of these different elements and pieces to it. It's not as simple as saying, well, the NCAA makes a lot of money. The student athletes should make money. And it's not as simple as saying, well, college coaches can do whatever they want. So student athletes should do whatever they want. We're creating a world of individualism and we're creating a world with no personal responsibility and lack of work ethic. We're creating lazy people, right? You might want to leave a school because your coach left. And I totally understand that, right? If, I, if I'm a quarterback and I come to a school in the Big South and my coach leaves, I may want to leave and go with that coach. I may want to leave because that coach, you know, I, I came there for them. And I know they say, you know, you commit to the school, but the reality of it all is you commit to the people. We're all about relationships. We're about connections. And so I commit to the people. If my coach leaves, I should be able to leave. But there's the other side of it. Because there's no parameters, if I come to you and I say and I say to my school, I want to leave, and they say, why? Well, because I don't want to work hard. Because you brought in another quarterback, and I don't want to have to compete with anybody. And we've seen how that doesn't work. We Tate Martell, at the autonomy group level, he bounced around everywhere, and it didn't work out for him. He ran away from competition, and he ended up not starting. So, you know, I think the hard part for me is if we create a world of laziness and a lack of personal responsibility and individualism, I understand that we're trying to pay or we're trying to get the players some compensation. They already have a free education. I would love to have had a free education. And so I understand the the model of wanting to get them something, but they already have something. And I think people need to understand that. And then the other side of it, Coaches can do whatever they want. Well, why can't student-athletes have some control over their life? I understand that part, too. And I understand the part of student-athletes coming to me saying, coaches used to be able to hand you a list saying, you can't go to these 27 schools, and five of those 27 schools were the only schools recruiting me, so where am I supposed to go? I understand all of that. But what I don't like is the laziness, the lack of personal responsibility, the disbanding of community, and the individualism that this is creating. Yeah, I have a lot of the same concerns. Um, you know, so so what about the kids that are left behind? So you've got you've got a roster of fifteen in basketball, and you've got you know ten kids that decide they're going to leave. What about the five that are left behind? You know, what? So you talk about student athlete opportunity and and uh, benefiting student athletes. There's there's student athletes on their side of this too. And again, not everybody moves on to greener pastures. You know, and on the NIL thing, I you know it's. <laughs> yeah, you you want people, uh, you want people to go out and if they have a chance to capitalize on their name, image, and likeness and earn fair market value, you know, great, you know. But is is earning ten thousand dollars for an appearance at a, a charity golf tournament fair market value? Um, <laughs> I think you gotta gotta ask some questions about what's going on out there. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and, and I mean, we're talking about million dollar contracts being signed. By 17 and 18 year olds. I mean, that's, and, and some people could say, well, yeah, Dan, those, that's two out of every thousand, but still it, I mean, it, it throws you off and it makes you, makes you ask a lot of questions about this and, and the benefit. And, and then, you know, I asked the questions and I've asked this to student athletes that have told me they never thought of it. I said, what if you have two receivers on a team and they both get paid a bonus for every time they have 10 catches in a game and they both have nine catches and it's the fourth quarter and there's a minute left and you're driving down the field and they go to the quarterback in the huddle and they say, give me the ball. And if you give me the ball, I'll give you a little cut. So you better throw it my way. No, you better throw it my way. And what do you do if you're a business 
and you say, okay, you know what? This point guard, I think he's fantastic. I think this point guard's great. And we're gonna we're gonna sign a deal, we're gonna ink a deal with this with this guard, and then they end up getting in trouble and they get suspended 10 games. And now they have, and let's say they get suspended for for something with sexual abuse. So now they have all these commercials pre-recorded for this car dealership with this person that's brought up on sexual abuse charges. Can that business get out of that deal? And what if you promote the quarterback and you give the quarterback 50 grand and in every single game you have commercials during every commercial break and that quarterback throws 10 interceptions in the first three games and they sit and then the other quarterback comes up and now you got a quarterback selling your cars that's the bench warmer that may never play again in college football for that team. Those are the questions well, so I bring depends, up. It depends. Are these are these businesses? You know, if you if you sign a, an eighteen year old and, and uh, they get in trouble and and uh, you, there's some concerns around you know them uh, representing your business. It depends. Why is the, why is the business in it? Is the business really in it to uh, further their business goals and sell more product, or is it is the business in it because they want to provide? Uh, 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 resources and compensation to student athletes, so they'll come to my institution or stay at my institution. And so maybe they're not as concerned about the fact that they have those kinds of issues. And and so that's why. So I got, I have some real concerns about uh, about the latter. Uh, you know, my support of, of name, image, and likeness is for student athletes to go out and honestly benefit from it. You know, but if yeah. it's just boosters, you know, trying to make sure that we're we're keeping. Johnny or Janie on my at my school, and, and or get them to come to my school. That's not only contrary to the to the uh, the rules that are in place, but it's a real concern for the direction this is going. Yeah, and it's it's again more questions than answers. Two years ago, copy and paste what I said. More questions than answers, and two years later, it's the same because of lack of leadership and lack of a centralized regulatory system that tells us exactly what can and cannot happen. We're here with the Big South Commissioner Kyle Kalander on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios. Kyle, before I let you go, I'd love to uh, take a look at your institutions, uh, your membership. Now, your full-time members, Campbell, Charleston Southern, uh, Gardner-Webb, Hampton, High Point, Longwood, North Carolina A&T, Presbyterian, Radford, UNC Asheville, USC Upstate, and Winthrop. And then you also have your associate members of Bryant in football, Robert Morris in football, and then for women's lacrosse, Furman, Mercer, and Wofford. Just what you can say about the makeup of this conference and the balance of full-time members with associate members and just what your take is on that. And and if you like being a conference that has full-time members as well as members that are connected with you, even if it is just for one sport. Yeah, absolutely. Well, just a correction: there's two of those institutions, two of those full members that are moving to the yeah. Colonial, so yeah, Hampton and A and T will be making that change. You know, so there there just continues to be swirl out there from conference realignment standpoint, and that's just part of Division One these days. We understand that, but we're really excited about um, you know our future and, and our path and our membership moving forward. Um, you know, we've got really a great core of institutions here. You know, in the three state area located in the southeastern portion of the United States um, really makes sense for us. We don't have any, we don't have to get on a plane outside of some of the affiliate members. You, you know, you're, you're, you're hopping on a bus, you're getting there in a couple of hours, your fans can travel, uh, get the, the institutions. And so it's really a positive model that we've built here. And, and again, I think we're all, there's a lot of cohesion, a lot of similarities of our institutions in terms of what they're trying to do to support their student athletes. Uh, so that's, that's why I really like this league and like being a part of this league because We've never pretended to be somebody else or really forced that. We have always understood who we were and uh, great leaders and great people. Uh, and, uh, you know, we have prioritized, you know, basketball in our league for our full members. That is, that's really important. So we have minimum standards moving forward. We understand that if you're going to, uh, you know, get recognition and, and change image and reputation, it's going to come through, through, if it's through sports, it's going to come through basketball. So we've really been focusing on that a lot. It's been a challenge to that. COVID period to try to continue that because of what's happened with enrollments and resources and state support. But um, we're getting back on track with that and excited about that. We have brought in some affiliate members, certainly in football, you mentioned. 
with Bryant coming in and Robert Morris being a part of what we're doing. Um, but we're, you know, what we're going to be doing in football is joining with a partnership with the Ohio Valley Conference uh, beginning in 2023. Just because as we've looked at the shifting sands of Division One and FCS membership, it made sense for us to partner with them to, to have a larger conference in football uh, and with like-minded institutions. Uh, really have a lot of respect uh, and friendship with Beth DeBush, the commissioner of the Ohio Valley, and so we think we've got a great thing going. In fact, we just the other day we had a joint call of the presidents of all the chancellors of all of our schools, which was a really, really a great thing to do and a really positive conversation about the future of, of football in, in our leagues. Um, and, and in terms of other sports, we have affiliate members. Usually if we're down on numbers to be able to, to boost those numbers to protect our automatic bid to the NCAA playoffs and by having Furman, Wofford, and Mercer and women's lacrosse, it's really helped us with outstanding institutions, certainly, but also great uh, women's lacrosse programs. So, um, you know, we try to be innovative and creative and, uh, you know, protect the opportunities of our student-athletes and provide them the best uh, the best chance they have to be successful. And uh, we think we're doing that. Um, but, again, you know, I'm really proud of our membership and, and what they do for our student-athletes. And you, and you had mentioned the fact, obviously, that the full-time members that – that are with the Big South until July of 2022. So in, you know, a little, little over a month's time, as we'll see, you know, the, the exiting of North Carolina, A&T and Hampton, how, how do you address that as you move forward? And are you looking at expansion for full-time membership? Yeah, great question. You know, we were, uh, you know, neither of those programs was, was in our league that long. You know, we uh, at Hampton four or five years in A&T had just, just been here a year, but, but again, things things continue to change and shift. Um, but w- one of the, you know, number one, when we expand, we want to make sure we're bringing in institutions that help us get better and really, really are similar and, and uh, really make sense for affiliation with our other members. Uh, and certainly those those two institutions did. Uh, but we also felt like, you know, bigger is probably better these days. I mean, hey, ideally, I just as soon have an eight, eight team league. But you just can't do that these days with all the all the shifting. So, um, being at twelve as we have been this past year has been great. We felt like you know that uh, you know probably you know on the on a large side and protects us from any any movement. So, you know, being at ten moving forward is not a bad thing. Um, a lot of our members feel like you know let's just stay at ten and move forward. This is great. You know, less. Uh, Unless you're competing against for a conference championship, and it really makes sense with what we're doing and who we've got in the league. But at the same time, you got to continue to look at it. You got to continue to, especially with what's happening at the NCAA right now, you got to continue to think about thinking, what does that future look like? So we are exploring expansion. We're taking a look and see what might make sense for us. Uh, but again, we're very deliberate about that, and we want to make sure that whatever we do is is smart um, and makes sense for us. Um, do we will we have to kind of grow our footprint a little bit and think we are thinking about that um, just from the standpoint of you know what are strategically what do we need to be thinking about so um, a lot of different conversations and things to consider moving forward but again feel great about our membership and, and where we are currently yeah you know and and, and I know that obviously uh, another piece to this uh, the big south conference and the ohio valley conference the ovc uh, having a football agreement just what you can tell us about this connectivity with with the ohio valley conference and what that does for football yeah we're excited about partnering with the ovc they're they're like-minded institutions in terms of what they're trying to accomplish through their or through their uh, football memberships uh, the, the competitiveness the success uh, the uh, you know the resources putting into our programs you know, geographically it's really good fit which is important uh, so um, and and the people and the leadership are just outstanding and, and so uh, we think that's it really makes a whole lot of sense for us on the football side of things you know with our combined membership right now in 2023 which is when it goes into effect is 11 members which is a good size uh, you know could grow could could shrink depending on how things happen moving forward but again it's it's uh, you know protects both of us from a football standpoint and it doesn't prevent us from continuing to think about adding football members into each of our leagues and ultimately splitting back off to two football leagues so that's not out of the question moving forward but uh, at this point 
it really makes a lot of sense for us and I think develops uh, uh, develops a conference that's going to be uh, really successful, going to be very competitive, um, and going to, again, provide great opportunities for our student-athletes. So um, and we think that thinking collaboratively and working together like this is a model that a lot of other conferences are going to be thinking about moving forward. Um, you know, just adding numbers doesn't always make sense. You know, to grow to 16 or 20 schools or whatever it is, especially if you're not the SEC where you don't have the billions of dollars coming in. Uh, so collaborating and working with others um, within your geographic footprint and for similar um, goals, uh, I think makes a lot of sense. And so I think we're being fairly innovative in how we're doing this. And I think you're going to see that model copied uh, moving forward. Yeah, you know, and, and we have seen this in other places, and it definitely uh, can, make, can make a lot of sense in order to create that uh, positive future and connectivity and, and having strength with two conferences working together in those alliances that move forward, as we've spoken about before. So with that being right. said, Kyle, I mean, we have run the gamut of conversation here today. Maybe you and I should go to the NCAA and, and be a part of these meetings ourselves. So, uh, Kyle Kalander. I hear they have an opening. <laughs> I hear they have an opening, Dan. Maybe you should apply. You know, you're not the first uh, commissioner that has asked me that. So, I, <laughs> I, I am I, I'm not beyond the realm of, of considering it. I'll tell you that much. So, there I, you go. Kyle Kalander, Big South Commissioner. A final note here, Kyle. Of all the things that challenge you today, what is your favorite part of your job as the Big South Commissioner? Well, you know, it's kind of what we started out talking about. It's it's getting out on campus, seeing people. We've got great leaders, you know, whether it's presidents or ADs, and and getting to our championships. You know, we're we're not on campus as often, obviously, as as an as an AD or or a coach. So when we get a chance to get out there and see our student athletes compete for a conference championship, it's it's really bringing home what it's all about. So that's been really fun with baseball, track. Uh, golf, you know, whatever the sport has been recently, I've been able to get out and, and see our student athletes compete uh, because, again, that's that's what we're all about, and, and it's really important that we provide those opportunities for those student athletes. So that's my favorite part, and it's been a great time the last couple of months. Well, I definitely appreciate, you know, always uh, the opportunity to get to talk to you has been fantastic. I, I hope that, uh, and I would love to do it more often. I, I told you before when we first spoke uh, last season, or last year, I should say, that uh, that, that Big South uh, rebranding logo is one that I, I want to sport when I'm walking around. So we're going to have to uh, do something with the Big South so I can I can uh, give you all a shameless plug. But I definitely appreciate what uh, what you're doing, Kyle. I, I love our conversations. I love how open you are about all of this and, and how free you are with the information of, of who you are and how you lead and, and why you do what you do. So thank you for what you're doing out there and, and for giving us such an inside look at the Big South to leave no stone unturned really does uh, mean a lot to me. And, and I always look forward to having you back on the show. Great. Awesome. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate your time. Appreciate you. All right. I'll talk with you soon. Take care. Take care. Uh, coming from Kyle Kalander once again here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora from inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios.